Game on. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Aligned and Thriving. I am your host, Dr. Jeremy Bullimore. I am not joined today by my esteemed colleague, Dr. Dr. Anthony Evans, because he is currently in Colorado camping with his fiance, enjoying the mountains and nature. So he will not be with us today, but I brought in a special guest. With me today is David Albers. He is the owner of Durable Dad Training and Education. He practiced as a certified athletic trainer for Cerner Corporation over the last 10 years, providing musculoskeletal health care solutions for thousands of Cerner employees. He holds a Bachelor's of Arts degree in athletic training from Park University, a Master's of Science in Kinesiology from A.T. Still University School of Osteopathic Medicine. He is advanced training in functional range systems where he earned the titles of functional range conditioning mobility specialist, FRC, and functional range systems internal strength model coach. That is a mouthful, man. How's it going? It's going good. Glad to be here. Good. Yeah. Well, we are going to talk today about mobility and three things that I want everybody listening to kind of get out of this. What we're going to what we're going to cover is first of all, what is mobility? Why is mobility important and how can I improve my mobility? Mm-hmm. So without further ado, Mr. Albers explain to myself and the viewers and listeners what is mobility yeah i love i love this question uh how about i how about i just start off with a super simple straightforward answer to what mobility is because then we can bring it on pack a little bit of it um Mm -hmm. and really kind of discuss the differences between what mobility uh actually is versus what a lot of people think it is because there's a big there's a big difference Mobility, simply put, is usable ranges of motion from your joints. So a single joint has should have usable range of motion, and we call that a joint's mobility. So if we kind of back into that a little bit, um, you have like, how many? You have like 350 some odd joints in your body. We have an absurd number oh, of joints. Yes. Right. And those are grouped into three primary different types of joints. One of them is a fibrous joint. So those are the ones that are like the sutures of your skull. They're not very movable. Um, no, then you not. have, right. You have, then you have, uh, cartilaginous joints. That's always a mouthful to say Ooh, cartilaginous joints. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And those are, uh, like the, uh, intervertebral discs, right? Yeah. Chiropractors yep, yep. treat the spine all the time. Yes. These are, uh, yes. they have some movement. Yep. And then the last one, uh, we have synovial joints and those are the ones that mm-hmm. I really like to hone in on and work with, particularly with mobility. Right. They are freely movable. So any joint that you typically think of, you're thinking about a, synovial joint mm-hmm. uh, so if you hear me use the word joint from now on i'm referring to these synovial joints so hips knees okay. shoulders all that good stuff yep now these synovial joints um what gives them this range of motion 
speciality, this mobility um, attribute that's so unique, they have a few anatomical features that set them apart from all those other joints. Um, the main feature is that synovial joints have space. They have space within the joint. So you think of like a literal gap between the bones that allows movement to occur. And that space is governed by um, a pretty dynamic capsule. So if you can think of a joint, it's actually wrapped. Uh, you think of a capsule like it's a pill, right? It's encapsulated by mm -hmm. this connective tissue. Mm -hmm. So this capsule and this space are defining features of synovial joints, and they are what allow the joint to have any kind of motion at all whatsoever, any range of motion at all. All right. And I say that because it's kind of a big deal to have at least some familiarity with the anatomy that we're talking about, because when we talk deeper about why it's important, it always comes back to anatomy. Everything about mobility has to do with anatomy before it has anything to do with movement. Sure. So, uh, yeah, I mentioned it's a usable range of motion of a joint. Every joint, every synovial joint has two types of range of motion. We have active and we have passive, right? Mm -hmm. Passive being how far can this joint be moved? by um, something else, whether it's gravity or a buddy or whatever. Another term that we use for passive range of motion is flexibility. Okay. Mm, okay. And then active range of motion is how far you can move that joint with your muscles. So nobody's helping you. Gravity's not helping you. How much of that you can move with your muscles. So that okay. is what we define as mobility. And to give you maybe uh, give listeners maybe like a uh, a picture to imagine the difference. You know, if you were yep. to sit on the floor with your legs straight out in front of you, uh -huh. passive mobility would be you reaching forward towards your toes with your trunk and you're okay. passively moving into what we would call hip flexion. Okay. Hip okay. flexion is where your thigh comes closer to your face and uh, you're using gravity because you're sitting on the floor, you're reaching forward, you're using gravity. Okay. That is, that is a passive range of motion. Now, if I you see were what just, you're saying. Right. So then if you were to sit upright, and use the muscles of your leg to try to lift your straight leg up off the ground, A, it's way harder. B, you won't be able to move quite as far, and that's okay. But that is your active range of motion. That's that's uh, usable range of motion. They're both hip flexion. Okay. One's passive and one's active. So that's okay. kind of so, how I defined define so mobility. To, go, to, to kind of touch back on that example that you just gave, in both settings, the individual is seated right so seated legs out passive mm -hmm. range would be allowing gravity to allow your trunk to kind of fall forward thus forcing your hip into some level of a flexion range of motion the mm -hmm. active piece of that would be to stay in that same seated position but then to actively try to flex the hip or pick the leg up off the ground right is that right that, that's correct okay that cool. is correct Just a, yep I want to make sure I try to give everybody that that visual there of, of what what you mean by that. Right, right. And um, I don't know, it seems like a, a simplistic way of describing mobility just being it's, it's active and passive range of motion, right? And right, it's, it's a lot different. It's a lot more different. It's way less complicated than people think. So right. when I'm working with somebody and they're like, oh, doing a mobility assessment, a lot of times people think I'm gonna do some fancy movements, and I'm gonna right. have some checklists, <laughs> right. and I'm gonna right. like watch it. You know, no, actually, I I isolate a joint. I have a fancy little uh, uh, what are the uh, goniometer? It's a goniometer, but uh, I'm trying to think of something somebody else would know about it. Uh, protractor. It's a fancy oh, protractor. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. And we move a joint, and I measure its angle, and I'm like, 
range of motion. I look That's at it, it passively, then I look at it actively. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure you have enough passive. I want to make sure you have enough. Act That's how I gauge mm -hmm. mobility. Because mm -hmm. um, what usually, I think usually mobility is associated with movement rather than anatomy. They're like, oh man, you're, you know, yoga, you know, we think things like that are working our mobility, um, Pilates, all these gymnastics. We associate mobility with movement rather than anatomy. But if mm -hmm. you really think about it, you're like, you see some person doing amazing feats of physical performance, you know, gymnastics and dancing are two examples that come to my mind. And what you're really thinking is, wow, look at that mobile person who can do all those right. incredible movements. Yeah. So mobility is what makes all that stuff possible in the first place. It's not, it's not the other way around. Right. So, yeah. So not to get too far ahead, but one thing I want to kind of touch back on when you were talking about measurement um of a specific joint there's a there's a set i don't want to say it's a standard right there there's a a viable range that a joint should be able to um it's kind of the measurement should be between yeah a yeah. specific number of you know of, of numbers and you know, what's the, who, who is it the American medical association who identified those quote unquote standards of ranges of motion within or specific ranges of emotion within a specific joint is I can't remember. Is that. Yeah. There's a lot of different governing medical orthopedic bodies that have contributed something to that pool of, of, uh, data. Yeah. Anyways. It, well, and the point that I'm trying to get at here is there's a lot of conflicting numerical numbers. Like right. one person should say that this joint in this specific range should be this number of degrees. I, I think when we're looking at this from an evaluation perspective, I think it's, it's good to establish a set of ba of a baseline. And mm -hmm. I think when, when you evaluate somebody, whatever that number is, if it if it looks somewhat dysfunctional or is not um, equal to the other side, you're you're going to try to improve that, and you're going to demonstrate um, improvements based off of that that initial kind of baseline findings. Correct. Right. So yeah, like before we even talk about the um, like what is normal range of motion, which is an interesting question in and of itself, but usually by the time somebody's coming to see somebody like me, um, they didn't even think about their mobility until they had some yep. kind of problem. Right. So they're right. either coming to me because something's not moving, right. Something hurts or something stiff and they just want to figure out what's going on so they can make it unstiff. Um, yeah. So or there's painful. a lot of, right. There's a lot of backstory leading up to an evaluation of range of motion. And that's different from person to person. So, you know, if I have an industrial worker coming to me with, um, they want an, they want a mobility assessment because, um, you know, their neck and their shoulders and their upper back are just super stiff and sometimes mm -hmm. they're painful and achy. Okay. Well, I know that once I get an idea of what are the things that you have to do with your body, um, and then I use that if you are somebody who needs to have a lot of range of motion and movement available in your upper extremity, well, I'm going to demand a little bit more uh, mobility 
for you as a standard than I would be for somebody who just sits at a computer all day. Not that the person right. at the computer doesn't need mobility in their shoulders and neck and upper back. It's just the person who actually has to use them and, and, and yeah. leverage a lot of that mobility. Yeah. I'm going to be a bit more, um, maybe stingy is a better word about like, I'm sure. going to be more strict. I'm going to want to achieve a greater range of motion, both passive and actively in the industrial workers, shoulders and neck than I would be with an office workers, shoulders yeah. and neck. So that does play yeah. into it. Cause when we talk about like, Oh, what's normal, I guess we have to understand that, um, whenever they pull all that data together, they're pulling typically from a fairly broad, slightly dysfunctional population. Yeah. Um, and we see, especially um, in the COVID age, as they continue to like look at what's normal across the board, people get less active. Well, then the normal range is going to start to go down the continuum a little bit. Yeah. That makes sense. Same thing with like blood pressure and everything else. Like what maybe was the acceptable standard for blood pressure 50 years ago is, is changed today and changed. that's because yeah and that's because yeah. our whole population has uh migrated a certain direction in their overall health so now we're yeah. like oh well you kind of fall within this range so you're okay but somebody who pays attention to their body like you or me we can go in and be like well i understand that my blood pressure is in the normal range according to you but i can tell you that for me it's not normal it's a little high yeah. Yeah. um but that takes some familiarity and the same thing goes with your range of motion and your movement like somebody, a doctor or a physical therapist and can measure your range of motion and be like, Hey, you know what? I understand that you're feeling these things, but your range of motion looks like it's falls within the normal limits. But like, I can, I can feel you. I can tell you that. Thank you. But I can tell it's still not moving right. It's still stiff. It's not acting normal. So when I do yeah. an, a, a mobility assessment, I mean, there are numbers that I have that I would like the typical person to be able to achieve no matter what. Uh -huh. Sometimes those numbers are greater if I know that they're a, if they play a sport or they have to do a certain type of job. So uh -huh. it's really tough to be like, yes, this is the, this is the standard yeah, range that you absolutely have to hit every single person. Right. Well, I mean, and you can't compare, you know, apples to oranges in this regard. You mm -hmm. know, you had brought up the point of the industrial worker and the, the person that works at a sedentary job and, and to take mm -hmm. it to the, to the, extreme you know an athlete a professional athlete the demands of how much mobility they would need to if they're professional to per, to perform their sport is a lot greater than you know even the industrial worker and and the the, the desk job and you know really i think it boils down to you know what it, what does the individual need you right. know and and the evaluation is this is where they're at this is what they need to do to improve that um, and their goals or their lifestyle, you know, plays into to kind of those goals. And, and you know, like you said, you're going to you're going to be more stingy if if the demands that, you know, that are being placed on their joints are higher. They need they need more more space available to them, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. And I know um, there's also a lot of confusion within this realm as well. I would say definitely within the fitness realm, you know, um, gosh, shoulders are a great example of, you know, somebody can say, I struggle, like it hurts me to do this movement, right? Yeah. Fill in the blank. This is just a really good, it hurts me when I reach overhead. So I think a lot of professionals are on the right track. They're like, okay, well, you need more flexibility to be overhead, but they end up prescribing something like, why don't you hang from this pull-up bar? 
or why don't you do overhead presses? Or, yeah. You know, fill in the blank, do something. Well, we just need to get you strong in that range. And like their thought process is going down the right track. But like I said earlier, mobility is a um, attribute of anatomy and it mm -hmm. comes before movement. Mm -hmm. It's what allows mm -hmm. movement. So I mm -hmm. look at a shoulder and they say, it hurts me to go here. Well, I need to break that shoulder motion down into its finer movements. What mm -hmm. can it rotate internally? Can it rotate mm -hmm. externally? Can it do all these individual mm -hmm. things? Because that's ultimately what's going to tell me what is the, uh, the state of the union of this shoulder <laughs> joint, right? That's can, a good one. Right. Can this shoulder shoulder? And yes, yeah. you can use shoulder yeah. as a noun and a verb. Can this shoulder shoulder before yeah. I ask it to do whatever it is I'm doing up here, whether it's yeah. overhead pressing or working on a car over my head or who knows what that is. And being able to, uh, and, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because typically mobility is, is not specific enough when it's used out mm -hmm. in the wild mm -hmm. mobility, because mm -hmm. it's, because it's an attribute of anatomy of a joint, it does have to be specific. What joint is missing something? Uh, what direction <laughs> is it missing it in? Yeah. Um, and then how much of that direction is it missing? So it is, yeah. and is it active or passive missing? Mm -hmm. So I don't know. There's just, it's, it's weird because mobility in itself is fairly simple, but it's also really specific in a lot of, oh, a lot of people in general. And I would even say therapists and coaches don't have a firm grasp on what exactly mobility truly is. And therefore they don't know how to be specific enough with their their mobility training for it to really mm -hmm. be mm -hmm. effective. Mm -hmm. um, so like yep. shoulders are always, I see I've worked with a lot of shoulders. I've done a lot of mobility assessments on a lot of shoulders and the typically I measure rotation first and, you know, we yep. can get into like what motions are most important at what joints, but you know, rotation um, is a primary motion of the shoulder joint. If it can't rotate, mm -hmm. it's not gonna be able to do anything else very well. Specifically, mm -hmm. I would say internal, rotation. So if you're looking at a shoulder, it can rotate externally, which is up and out like your baseball players when they're throwing, they are externally rotated. And then mm -hmm. internal rotation is down and in. Yeah. Most important motion of the shoulder, just because of the shoulders structure. Um, yeah. and actually I would say that's the most, excuse me, that's the most important motion for every joint outside the spine. And a lot of times I can measure and see a huge deficit in internal rotation, sometimes external rotation too. But honestly, at that point, this is the most basic fundamental motion and you're missing it. So mm -hmm. I'm going to have you start doing training. That's going to directly address shoulder internal rotation to help you be yeah. up here because yeah. this has to come first. Yeah. So that's what I mean by specificity. A lot of mobility is just not specific enough. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I don't, I can't remember if you and I have ever talked about this, but do you follow any of Gray Cook's movement mm -hmm. stuff? So one of the things that I always go back to in, in when I re some, read some of his stuff is regional interdependence. And I like that term, that verbiage, because I think it sticks with what you're saying is, does that specific region have the ability to independently function you know, on its own. And so, mm -hmm. you know, when you're talking about like assessing mobility and, and you had brought up the, you know, does your shoulder shoulder, right. does that shoulder joint have the capacity to independently move um, outside of 
coupled motion of your scapula or your, you know, your thoracic spine to be able to achieve, you know, kind of said task, if that is lifting the arm above the head, mm -hmm. does that glenohumeral joint have that regional interdependence to function normally to be able to achieve, you know, kind of achieve that task. So, yeah, yeah. I look at this, um, the, the school of study I'm under Dr. Andre Ospina, he's kind of the creator of yeah. the functional range systems. And, um, one of his kind of like his basic rules when it comes to getting joints to optimal function and mobility, he's, he always talked about having joint, uh, independence before interdependence. So the joint okay. shoulder, a shoulder has to be able to shoulder all by itself right. before it can work in conjunction with other joints optimally. Yeah. Yeah. You can say the same thing for a hip, right? Um, the hip needs to be able to do hip things all by itself without any help from any other joint Yeah, before it can play nice with yeah. the other joints, right? <laughs> right, right? I mean, because, I mean, what, we all know, how many knee problems do we see coming in? And like, there's actually nothing wrong with your knee. You just have a really crappy hip or a really yeah. crappy ankle, right? Right, right. So you take a hip that can't hip very well. And you try to go do sometimes at sporting activities, maybe you're a power yeah. lifter, you know, a crossfitter. Um, I, I mean, fill in the blank. It's you take your body, you ask it to do these things that require a hip to do hip things very well, yet it doesn't. Mm -hmm. So now the other parts of your body, uh, because your body's going to do what it's supposed to, it's going to find a way around that crappy hip. It's doing exactly what it's your, your nervous system is the master of workarounds and it's, that's a good thing because that is that's how it keeps you going like yeah. when you need to on the flip side of that if you like let it keep going down that path and you keep doing all those things on a crappy hip um those workarounds are going to end up backfiring against you because now your knee is not just doing knee things it's also doing some of the hip things and the only yeah. reason that's a problem is your knee's not a hip um, right so it'll right. get you by in the short term um but over time, those additional abnormal forces going through the knee is going to start to uh, cause dysfunctions uh, in the knee. Yeah. So, and a lot of times that's usually where people find it. They're like, oh man, my knee hurts. I'm going to go to the doctor to look at my knee and they're going to make sure my knee is strong. When in fact it may have started with a junky hip or a junky yeah. ankle or a yeah. junky spine. You know, it, it takes a bit more. While mobility itself is simple, it does take a little bit more of critical thinking, a bit of a systematic, like, let's start here and make sure the super basics that all of your moving parts work the way they're supposed to. Yeah. You know, um, I'm not necessarily interested in evaluating your ability to squat because I know that in order for you to squat your hips, your knees, your ankles, your spine, they all have to have a prerequisite amount of mobility available beforehand. Right. So your squat itself isn't going to tell me much about your actual anatomy. It's just right. going to tell me, this is how you've learned how to squat. This is you how can, your body has yeah. organized its squat based on the mobility of its parts. So yeah. I'm always going to go straight to the parts first. And I think Greg Cook is the other way around. He likes to do patterns before parts. Yeah. I'm the opposite. Let's just go to the parts. <laughs> yeah, I get that. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, hearing you talk and, and I think it's a natural kind of transition into kind of why mobility is important you know mm -hmm. you you had talked touched on um you know the the squat um you know the the knee pain piece of it you know why why do you think you know mobility is important for people to to have i mean kind of continue down that you know kind of that rabbit hole 
Yeah, I think just right off the top of my head, there's kind of three areas, but um, I'd say the the short answer would be that you need mobility. It's important because it prolongs the life of your joints. Um, yeah. It reduces, yeah. yeah, it reduces symptoms like your chronic stiffness, your aches and pains that are usually yeah. due to mobility dysfunctions, mo- mobility problems in the first place. Uh, it makes movement easier. And if it makes movement easier, it actually expands your ability to perform, whether that's a sport or an occupation. Um, And I think it reduces the likelihood of becoming injured because mobile joints are just more resilient joints. They're uh, what we were talking about the other day. I was like their threshold to becoming injured is a lot higher. Yeah. And that's just because of the anatomical um, uh, architecture, I guess, is it's it's more sturdy in a mobile joint than an immobile joint. So. I think there's a, gosh, this always comes back to, you know, a few basic things to understand about movement, really, because we always, people and um, coaches and even therapists, they always think straight to the movement rather than stopping and let's, okay, let's go back and let's look at the, let's look at where movement comes from in the first place, which Mm -hmm. all movement is created and executed internally by mm-hmm. your joints first mm-hmm. before everything. So all those big mm-hmm. movements that we typically think of, we have to remember that those are a culmination of the condition of all your internal parts, all of your, all of your joints. Mm-hmm. So at the point where some of those parts start to lose access and control of those various ranges of motion, the passive and the active range of motion, well, that just makes your whole, I'm going to call it a movement system. Mm-hmm. It makes your whole movement system uh have to behave differently yeah um and that really kind of shifts thinking then of you know where do uh problems come from well if 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 problems with move if movement comes from joints first before anything else if it's created and executed internally well then the first problems that we have to make sure that are not occurring are the ones occurring from the joints. So mm-hmm. you can think anything that, uh, anytime a joint is not functioning the way it should, that con- that's a constraint on the whole system. It forces the system to come up with an alternate plan, basically. And that alternate plan typically involves placing more work on other joints. And those other joints weren't necessarily designed or built to, um, do that work. And, you know, back to, to give an example of this, you know, back to that knee example where somebody comes in and maybe their knee hurts, right? They're coming to you finally and they have, they have knee pain and they go through the whole process, but, um, it could have started with, with something like, um, a hip joint. So let's say your hip joint for whatever reason is usually, is usually because of lifestyle, how you've been using it. Mm -hmm. Um, things like repetitive motions or just lack of use tend to make a joint capsule get really um, brittle. It should be elastic and strong. Yeah, uh, it gets kind of yeah, thick and brittle, and you lose some joint space, which means that joint can't move as well. Um, and it even compresses the joint a bit whenever you lose space because you know if you think uh-huh. of two bones coming together to make a joint, and they have this space so they can move. Well, if the if the capsule gets thick and unhealthy, it kind of shrink wraps the joint, and that space decreases. So now you also yeah. have compression within the joint, but what does that look like down the line? You know, maybe that happens at the hip, but you're an active person. You like to, 
I'm not going to throw out a specific activity because I don't want to make anybody think that because they do that, that activity, this is going to happen to them. But right. um, you're an active person and you have a really stiff, rigid hip capsules and don't allow a lot of mobility. So now your knees are doing a lot more work. And what do we, yep. what do we see with that? We see a loss of space or an unhealthy capsule develop in those knee joints because now they're behaving in a very different way. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have a loss of space. So that space is now compressed. And now those additional forces are getting fed straight into some of those tissues. You might see a wearing down of cartilage. You might see some yep. extra bony calcification because that's what bones do whenever they feel more forced through an area. Yep. Um, so yeah, you'll see, you'll see a degradation of all those things, the, the capsule, the space, the cartilage, the underlying bone. And you kind of step back and you think about that, you're like, wow, that sounds a lot like osteoarthritis, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> um, probably is you right. know but even something like osteoarthritis always starts with a mobility problem more specifically right. a, a joint space problem yeah so maintaining mobility yeah why is it important it's because when i say it it extends the life of your joints um it it keeps that kind of stuff from happening you know yeah because i want you to be able to move and do all those things and not put excessive wear and tear on joints because your body's working around all these constraints, right? Yeah. So, you know, I think one important piece, you know, to, to kind of point out is, is like, you want to have as much space available to you. And mm -hmm. you had talked about like the in injury prevention kind of perspective. And I always, when I'm trying to explain this concept to people, I try to say like, you know, pretend you're in your room and you're trying to play a full court basketball game with 10 people in your bathroom. Mm -hmm. Like there's not a lot of space in there for 10 people to move around, to dribble, to shoot. Mm -hmm. And so the likelihood that something's going to get broken, whether it be an individual or the wall or whatever's in there is, is really highly likely. But right. you take that same concept and now you put it into a full court gym setting where there's space for these individuals to kind of move around. Right. The likelihood that something is obviously going to get broken is a, is a lot less. So by having more, you know, movement available to you within that specific joint, it, you know, it, it reduces the likelihood or decreases your threshold that, um, you know, that, that you will be injured. Um, right. and that's not to say that, you know, that can't happen. Like if you're, you're, you know, doing your mobility routine on a regular basis, like that's not a complete guarantee that something can't, you know, can't happen and can't mm -hmm. occur because sometimes some things, you know, where the stress on the joint, the tissue, um, far supersedes what that, specific tissue can withstand and then that tissue essentially you know breaks wears down whatever mm -hmm. you want to call it yeah this is a this is actually a really good um kind of conversation to talk about um windows of oppor windows of opportunity for injury when it comes to mobility because <clears throat> yeah i mentioned earlier you know you have passive and active range of motion right and yeah active is what i defined as the mobility because your active range is your usable range now if you really think about it, um, you have to have passive before you can have active mm -hmm. because 
you can't train muscles to control and be strong through ranges that you don't have. Correct. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. passively, your joint has to be able to physically get to a range before you can train the muscles to control that range. Sure. Okay. So flexibility is a very important component of mobility. Um, with mobility, yes, we want that passive range, but then we want to backfill that passive range with strength and control. So like your muscles can uh, control that movement. It's not just happening haphazardly. So here's the window of opportunity for injury. Two, two main situations that I always see. The first one is somebody who doesn't have a passive range of motion. So your joint can't move very far in the first place. So if your window of movement is here, um, anything that goes outside of here is dangerous and you have an opportunity for injury. The whole concept of mobility is we want to take your availability of what your joint can do. We want to take it from here. We want to take it to here. Because then, as long as your movements fall within this bigger space, you're still there's a lot less stuff potential to for things to happen outside of that. Yes, they still can yeah. happen, but um, one thing I see, yeah, so that's not having enough passive range. So if you're here, anything outside of that is potential for energy, uh, energy injury, injury. There we go. <laughs> but then the other aspect of that are those people, and there's a lot of them out there. Um, I was one of them for a long time who did a lot of flexibility work but then like no active range of motion exercise. So they have a ton mm -hmm. of flexibility, but like no control over it. This is right. also a window of opportunity for injury because your joint may allow itself to be moved really far into a range of motion. But since there's no control over that range, you can almost think, I mean, it's an unstable range. Your muscles couldn't control it out there anyway. Mm -hmm. So in both situations, it's a bad deal. Um, both situations, the window of opportunity for injury greatly increases, whether you're missing passive, because if you're missing passive, I know you don't have active. Um, mm -hmm. If you have a ton of passive, but very little active, you're not, you're not that much better off. I mean, one part of it's done. You definitely have a lot of flexibility. So I would treat that person uh, differently with their exercises. I wouldn't have them spend so much time working passive. I'd have them mainly doing active things. Um, but they're both situations that um provide more opportunity to get injured um at, at an acute in an acute way so a yeah. joint that is mobile meaning that it has adequate passive and good control or active range of motion of that passive um typically the process to get there involved you adding a lot of strength and elasticity to your capsule which is going to give you more joint space so not only do you have a resilient capsule and adequate joint space, you also have a lot of muscular strength and control over all this range you have. And it's really interesting uh, talking about this because a lot of people do stretch, they stretch their muscles because that's where they feel the tightness. Mm -hmm. And this is probably a question that you're about to go down at some point, but <laughs> there is a very special connection between your capsule and then the muscles that control the joint um around uh, muscles around it that control that joint so mm -hmm. you know um and now our listeners are going to know this but your capsule has some very special sensory nerves in it we call them mechanoreceptors so yep. they receive they transmit information about mechanical forces and from the mechanoreceptors yep um when a capsule is being stimulated through certain types of mobility exercises it actually is essentially sending information to the brain about the joint yeah. Okay. So whenever a capsule is allowed through how you treat it 
a joint capsule is allowed to become unhealthy, thick, rigid. It kind of wastes away a little bit. So do the mechanoreceptors that are in it. Um, and when your brain is no longer getting very much information from a joint capsule because its mechanoreceptors are dysfunctional because the capsule is dysfunctional. Yes, sir. Um, it's going to use the muscles. It's going to send signals to the muscles to not allow much motion or force production to happen. I mean, a lot of issues of tight and weak muscles are not a muscle problem as much as it is a joint problem. I don't know how many times I've met somebody who stretches their hamstrings because they have chronically tight hamstrings for years and they stretch them every day. And the only question I have for them in those situations is, has it occurred to you that your hamstrings might not be the problem because you stretch yeah. them every day and they go back right. to being tight. So you can't like, you can't keep doing the exact same thing and expecting a, a different result. So right. clearly we need to look at something else. And a lot of times for hamstrings in, in, in particular, a lot of times it's the hip joint. Let's yeah. work the capsule. Let's restore its elasticity. Um, let's restore some joint space. Let's make, let's get you your range of motion back, your passive and your active range of motion back. And a lot of times the hamstrings lighten up on you. Yeah. They get, they yeah. get, uh, more forgiving. They give you more range and they're stronger. And that's just cause now the joints talking to the brain better cause it's more healthy. Right. Yeah. That's, I think that, that mechanoreceptor, that joint capsule, you know, explanation is a, is a great one. And I like to. Like your brain, your brain makes is one that controls and makes and makes decisions throughout your body. And if mm -hmm. your brain is receiving information that is faulty, is poor, it's going to make decisions based off of that information. It's also right. going to make decisions off of what it, it what it has learned, you know, kind of in the past. So mm -hmm. it's it's pulling from past experiences, you know. So here we're talking, you know, has there been an injury in the past? Has there been some level of pain in the past? And so the response, the control, the the muscle control piece of that is going to be based off of the brain's kind of interpretation of that. And so mm -hmm. the more, you know, good, healthy information from those mechanoreceptors your brain is 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 gonna receive, the better that functionality um, of that you know, muscle tissue in response to that, it's, it's going to generate. So mm -hmm. yeah, that, that's a, you know, another add that to the list of things, you know, of why, you know, this, this mobility thing, tasking, you know, kind of joints joints in this way is, is important is, yeah. is we've got to, we've got to make sure the brain receives, you know, kind of proper information and, and, and does yeah. what it does what it needs to do. I guess kind of a a simple way to remember all this is that <clears throat> I've talked a lot about how mobility is an attribute of anatomy, not movement before it, before it has anything to do with movement, right? And how all movements created internally by these joints. And we keep coming back to this capsule. We brought it up a lot. I wish I could like flash a picture of what a capsule looks like, but yeah, um, every synovial joint has one. Okay, and um, if we look at anatomy of your musculoskeletal system, like on a, uh, broad scale, we can see that everything's oriented in layers. Okay. So you have more superficial layers, which are the big, pretty muscles that everybody likes to build up so they can see mm -hmm. in the mirror below those, you have smaller muscles, um, that typically cross one joint 
Um, and then if you kind of keep going deeper, you have even smaller muscles that actually really don't even produce movement as much as they sense changes in position of yeah. joints. Like we're talking really small muscles. If like, you know, along your spine, you have uh, multifidi, for example, yeah. your multifidi is not going to move your spine. It's not going to move your no. entire trunk, but they are really good at sensing small changes in the position of your intervertebral segments. And I'm talking the mm. individual ones, right? Yeah. We can't so one segment that, on top of another, right? We can't forget that your spine's actually 33, 33 segments, um, mm -hmm. not one big pillar. Right. But, mm -hmm. um, so anyways, but then if we go a layer deeper than that, that's when we run into the capsule. Okay. Right. Now, when we think about things in layers, you have your deepest capsule layer, then you have those next layer out, which are those super tiny motion sensing muscles. And then you go mm. out another layer out, you have they're still kind of small, but they do produce some motion at a joint. And then you have the another layer out the big. Okay. If you want to affect all of the layers at the same time, where would you go? You would go to the deepest layer because you know, that's right. like, because physics, that's how this is going to work. Um, if I can affect the capsule of a joint and improve it, I know the function of the superficial superficial the superficial <laughs> layers are also going to improve will it make them all work flawlessly no because there's a lot of cases where hey we get your capsule good we get your rotational motion good we've restored a lot of mobility at a joint but there are still some like connective tissue problems in more superficial layers and you can use mobility training to target those specific things too but it always has to start at the deepest layer, which nobody starts with, nobody looks right. at. Yeah. Um, and mobility um, starts at that deepest layer from within the joint. I mean, if, I guess you can go a layer deeper under the capsule is the joint space inside, but the joint mm -hmm. space is governed by the capsule. So the capsule is... Hmm, that's where it's at. Important. It's where it has to start, yeah. And that's where yeah. I start when I'm evaluating somebody's mobility. Um, yeah. yeah, they might have knots knots, you know, in their upper back or whatever, but I, I get that. And I understand that it's not comfortable, but I have to make sure that your cervical spine segments are working. Your scapulothoracic joint works, your shoulder joint work. Those are the things that are going to impact those muscles. Yeah. So yeah, that's it's, where you have to start. You know, so I'll add this little, this little nugget on top of that is, you know, the, the chiropractic adjustment to the spine targets that specific tissue. You know, when we're adjusting that we're we're stimulating that that what we call facet joint capsule um you know during during the adjustment piece. Mm -hmm. And so you know, it's it's important to to stimulate, you know, kind of stimulate that tissue. Um okay, so we talked about, you know, kind of you know, what mobility is, why it's important how do we, how do we improve it? You know, so how do we, how do individuals out here listening, watching this, you know, how do they help improve, you know, their overall mobility? What, mm -hmm. you know, what are some things that they can do? Yeah, I would, um, there's a few kind of like fundamental principles that I always have to always have to talk about when somebody asks me, Hey, how do I make my mobility better? Well, first, right. Mobility training has to be internally focused because the, you're trying to improve internal things, right? Yeah. A squat, for example, is not an internal exercise. It's an external exercise because you're trying to accomplish a task of doing a squat a certain way. An internal exercise, like um, what's a good one for for mobility? Like I use one that's called the hip 9090. 
Um, and the position itself isn't necessarily important. I'm not, I'm not putting somebody in a hip 90, 90 position to make them better at hip 90, 90. I'm using the hip 90, 90, because I know it's going to put a lot of tension directly into a hip joint capsule. And -hmm. in that position, I can have them do various types of muscular contractions. I can have them spend a lot of time in that position. There are a lot of ways that I can load the capsule tissue specifically. So the fundamental goal of a squat versus using a hip 99 to target a hip capsule are very different. The squat's trying to get better at, better at the skill of squatting where internal focus training is trying to improve a very specific tissue in a very specific position. So mm-hmm. that's, that's one thing to understand. Mobility training has to be internally focused. Second thing is mobility training has to prioritize the capsule first. Yeah, there's other things that could be going on, but you have to start with the capsule because that's the deepest layer and that's what's gonna give you the most benefit across all of these layers of musculoskeletal stuff that you have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The, um, another one about mobility training, it's, it can't just be passive. It has to have both passive and active components to it. Passive exercises will only give you passive range. And I talked earlier about having just passive range still gives you a window of opportunity for injury. Right. Um, You got to control that joint. Right. So it has to have both passive and active components. If you're not doing anything active, it's not mobility training. Let's just leave mm-hmm. it at that. Um, so if we're wanting to hit the capsule and we're wanting it to be, um, we're wanting it to stimulate that deepest layer of tissue, then mobility training really needs to take place at what we call end ranges. Um, so yeah. you either need to be training at end range or up to your end range at a at optimal velocity. So what that means is like, with the hip 9090, when I say it stretches the capsule, that means I've moved the joint, I've rotated it far enough in one direction to where the main thing that's stopping it is the capsule. Like the capsule has right. now been pulled tight. So that is an end range. Um, what do we know about end ranges? They are not very comfortable because they're an end yes. range, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. They don't necessarily hurt, but they're just like, yeah, that, uh, that's stiff. Like I can feel that. That's like, do I have to stay here that long? I, you know, those kind right. of questions. Right. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. You do. That's where, that's where the magic happens. That's where we can get the tension into the, um, connective tissue. Yeah. And then one other thing is that it needs a lot of time under a lot of tension. Mm-hmm. Um, capsule is a type of tissue called connective tissue. It does not respond or behave like muscle tissue. Um, stretches are typically done. A, I'm pro stretch. I'm all for stretching. If stretching, I'm glad you brought this up because I was going to segue into that. Yeah, if stretching is done right, but when we are stretching um, a capsule, because it's connective tissue, it responds on a different timeline. So typically, if you're going to do a stretch and hold a position, it has to be for several minutes straight, and then followed up with active muscular contractions. Um, Most people don't understand like how strong connective tissue is like we're talking thousands of newtons of tension to talk to this sucker kind of strong um Mm -hmm. so yeah lots of time under tension um lots of time at end ranges this is what this is what mobility training really has to be comprised of so i have three main tools that i use and then i teach my clients with mobility training and i'm not going to explain each one of them very in depth but i will say that the first one is controlled articular rotations. Nobody mm-hmm. likes to say that a bunch of times in a row. So we call them cars. Cars. Um, yep. And they are just active rotational range of motion 
exercises and they take place at end mm -hmm. ranges. Um, the next one is positional holds. So these are how I do stretches. Um, they are positions that tension deep connective tissue. Sometimes that's a capsule. Well, most of the time that's a capsule. And sometimes that's a little bit more superficial, depending on what, depending on what the client needs. And then the last one is progressive and regressive angular isometric loading. You're, I mean, right? mouth pails and rails, pails and pails rails. And rails. So yes. those, that's just a really fancy way to describe doing isometric contractions, which an isometric contraction is like if you flex a muscle, but nothing actually moves. So yep. if you're one of those guys that flexes in the mirror, you're doing isometric contractions. Yeah. Um, but pails and rails are isometric contractions performed at an end range and they are as fun as they sound. So, yeah. Uh, those this... are the three main tools that I use that I teach. Sometimes we go a little deeper and there's more tools I have to uncover, but a lot of times these three tools are sufficient to make huge, huge gains. And I would yeah. say not even sometimes all the time, they're sufficient to make huge gains yeah. in mobility. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think to, to kind of summarize, you know, a lot of what David is, is, you know, when he assesses a joint, he's looking at, you know, which direction, which angle, which, which part of the joint doesn't move well. And he's using that information to target for his, his cars, his pails, his rails, all of that stuff is targeting the specific tissue. So more than likely, it's going to be a joint capsule in that specific kind of angle. And he wants to put tension on that to kind of open, you know, open that, open up that space, open right. that range. And then, you know, to, to kind of, to, to, you know, kind of tie it into a nice little bow. He's got to, we've got to have um, exercises, whatever you want to call it, tools um, to, to control that joint. And so that's where my understanding is that's where the pails and the rails kind of come into right. play is, is you get that tissue kind of moving. Okay. Now we need to control it. And so now we start to, you know, like you said, those isometric contractions in a rotational fashion. Mm -hmm. I mean, you are flooding your brain with information from that joint tissue. Um, I mean, the power of that and how much that helps improve mobility um is is phenomenal i mean it really yeah. is yeah 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 the pails and rails um that's typically where the rubber meets the road for a lot of people like oh man yeah. this is actually I mean, it, like mobility is really tough right yeah it's hard they're, they're hard they suck um right you can and get nauseous <laughs> doing right. them. You're, you're already sometimes in a position that's really uncomfortable and then i'm like all right yeah. and then i talk you through pails and rails and they look at me like you want me to do what right yeah like <laughs> Okay, now and, you've got me here. It right. it is not fun here, and now you want me to do something. Yeah, totally. Right, but right. you know, just like any, like any exercise or exercise as a whole, like we, it it gets easier, right? Just mm -hmm. like hey, you know, if you want to go run a marathon, you don't just like wake up one day and go outside and go run twenty six point two miles. You've got to you've got to build kind of up mm -hmm. to that. Yeah. You know, some people, yes, yeah, some people physically can get out of bed, run 26.2 miles. They're the exception to the rule. Yeah. Most individuals have to train their body to, to be able to do that. And that's just how our bodies kind of adapt. I mean, mm -hmm. it's strength training, you know, cardiovascular, like that, that's the concept of what is it? The said principle. So yeah. is it, I always get this mixed up. Is it selective adaptations or specific? Specific, specific adaptation. adaptation to imposed demands. Right. Right. So 
<sighs> yeah. It's funny though, you, you bring up the, the thing about, hey, we understand that this is how it works with marathons and strength training, but there is like this straight up disconnect between, oh, mobility training or just these cutesy little like uh, Instagram stretches that I do for 30 seconds. No, it's right. tissue, it's tissue and it responds like any other tissue. Um, so mobility training follows all the same rules as strength training and marathon training. You know, it, <clears throat> it's just a lot more specific to a very particular yeah. tissue, but like, well, let's just call mobility training, strength training for joints. Let's call it that. Okay. So I, then maybe, maybe people will get on board with like, oh yeah, it's actually supposed to be really challenging. I'm like supposed yeah. to challenge myself every time I do this. So, yeah. but with the, with, yeah, with the said principle, it's, if you're, the more specific you can get with an exercise, yeah. the, the better results you're going to be getting because the body is specific in the changes it chooses to make. Right. Um, so if a squat is a fairly great example of this because it is a, an exercise that covers a lot of different areas. Yeah. So it gets a lot of areas to move. It gets a lot of areas to produce force. Um, therefore it does help a lot of your areas, a lot of your body get stronger, but it's not a deadlift, right? Right. So doing squats is not necessarily going to prepare your body for deadlifts because of the law of specificity. Yeah. Your brain is not interested in spending time, energy, or any other resource on maintaining tissues that it doesn't feel that it needs. Okay. So this is what happens to capsules um, yes. of joints. So yes, preach. If, if you never go here, with your arms. So, okay, so just so for people listening, David brought his arms above his head. You probably, if you're listening to the podcast, you can't see what, well, visually what he's doing, but arms, so think arms above your head like you're reaching for something. Yeah, and it's a really, it's just a basic, it's a basic example. If you never go here, your body is eventually going to lose its ability to go there. Why? Because it's like, well, I never need to go there. Why am I going right. to spend energy maintaining the tissue's ability to exactly. go there? Okay. Yes. So when we talk about mobility training, um, a lot of, uh, a lot of exercises are done that are too broad and not specific enough to actually help the joint and yeah. its capsule, uh, get a signal to say, Hey, I need you to do this. So even though you're doing strength training and you're doing a lot of things, that's great. That's awesome. Honestly, it's not enough to keep your joints healthy though, because your brain still needs signals sent all the way down to your capsule through specific end range training in order to make sure that it's sending resources to maintain that capsular health in that joint space. Yeah. You could do squats all day long, but I've seen a lot of guys who are really strong squatters still have crappy hips because anything outside of squatting, their body's like, eh, I didn't really yeah. bother hanging on to it because I didn't have to do much outside of those things. Um, and that's not every squatter. There are a lot of like, I've seen some amazing power lifters who are very, very capable mobile people because they they understand that they understand that my sport requires me to do three things really freaking well yeah so i'm going to do those three things but i'm also going to keep in mind that i still want to maintain my ability to like do other stuff outside of those yeah. three things yeah um so when it comes i guess it's the if you lose it if you don't use it you lose it principle is really what the said principle is um yeah yeah so yeah it's if uh if you don't move certain directions and you never move certain directions, well, your body's just like, all right, well, I guess we don't yeah. need that. So, you know, one thing I can't remember where I heard this, 
and it was some point along my journey, but the point of it is, is you want to have the ability to have variance in your movement. Mm -hmm. And the example that I read was the golf swing and, and specifically professional golfers is a lot of professional golfers ability to get to the point that they get to is the golf swing in and itself is a very complex movement. And those individuals have a lot of variance within that whole range of motion throughout the golf swing to be able to take the club head, put the club face right where the ball is consistently every single time. Mm -hmm. And, and that is a very, for individuals out there who play golf, um, it, it golf can be very challenging because a lot of people don't have the ability for variance within that, you know, within that movement. And, you know, as we get older, that those walls kind of close in on us. And so we want to make sure we continue to push out against that to allow ourselves to, to have, you know, variance in movement. And, and you had talked about like the, the squat piece and, and, you know, having hip mobility, um, you know, variance, you know, comes with that. The more ability you have to move that, you know, that hip joint, the more you can absorb those differentiations in, in that specific squat, Mm -hmm. um, or whatever, you know, movement that you're doing, um, that it, you know, it, it, energy can be focused on that instead of, you know, trying to stabilize. So anyways, right. right. Well, this is awesome, man. Um, as far as people listening, watching, um, if you want to reach out to David, how can people best, uh, get a hold of you, my friend? Um, well, I'm seeing, people at your clinic, Align for Life. Down Align there for o Life. Yeah, down there in Overland Park. Uh, I have an email there. It's it's David Albers at Align for Life. Okay. Um, pretty sure you can even hop online and go to your website, Align for Life, and um, book a mobility assessment with me if that's you something sure that can. you're with. Yeah. So um, I never promise that I can answer all of your questions, but I can certainly tell you what parts of you move well and what parts of you don't. Uh -huh. and then And then give you some specific exercises to address those specific things so love and it. just improve yeah improve mobility improve range of motion that's what we're we build better humans so they can go do movements easier that's what yeah. we're trying to do <laughs> absolutely well thank you thank you everybody for for watching on on youtube thank everybody thank you everybody for for listening uh to our podcast don't forget to uh like and subscribe and we'll see you uh for, on the next one thanks thank you